If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Puro Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by Business editor and columnist Greg Jefferson, investigative reporter Brian Chasnoff, and uh, since we we last uh, talked to you all, uh, been some uh, developments and uh, on the state level, some 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 big developments. Um, we've had after two quorum breaks from Texas House Democrats trying to block the passage of a restrictive uh, election bill. Uh, that bill did pass the house last week uh by an 80 to 41 vote it was basically along party lines with one uh notable exception which was san antonio republican lyle larson who voted against it and we're going to talk a little bit more about him in a minute also uh we have continuing confusion uh legal confusion over mask mandates and vaccine mandates that local uh, governments and school districts have have imposed. We've had Governor Greg Abbott trying to to stop them, and and, and the court fights are really really hard to keep up with. Um, one interesting development last week was we had had uh, SAISD uh, impose a vaccine mandate for their uh, employees, and um, Attorney General Ken Paxton sued SAISD, saying that an executive order from uh, Governor Abbott had uh, stipulated that if you could not uh, mandate vaccines that were administered under emergency use authorization. Well, last Monday, uh, the FDA approved the Pfizer vaccine, gave it full approval. Um, and the reaction from uh, Greg Abbott was to issue a new executive order, which basically uh, uh, made clear that even under full authorization, under in any condition, you could not uh, impose a vaccine mandate. So um, it, he's made it clear that he's completely opposed to to uh, to schools uh, either mandating masks or vaccines. And you know, obviously, there's a lot of concern in the state about the safety of kids, and and uh, he's just been extremely stubborn on this. And this is something that we're going to be following as we go along. I wanted to talk a little bit. I mentioned Lyle Larson. Wanted to talk a little bit about a development last week, which was that uh, controversial former district attorney, Nico LaHood, who was a Democrat when he was district attorney, um, is seriously considering running for Texas House District 122, July Larson's district. And Nico LaHood would run as a Republican in the primary there. Um, Brian, you you covered Nico LaHood a lot over the years and, and the various uh, <laughs> uh, scandals or controversies that he got into during his, his time as DA. Uh, are you surprised? <laughs> I'm not surprised that he wants uh, uh, to, to reintroduce himself to the limelight because I always felt that that Nico was motivated by uh, eyes on him to a certain extent, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he, he relishes being in the, in the public eye. Um, but uh, I, I think it's interesting that, you know, Nico was all, always to me seemed like a, a Democrat who behaved more like a Republican. Right. 
Whereas Lyle Larson seems like a, a Republican who sometimes behaves more like a Democrat with his public clashes with Governor Abbott yeah. and people in his own party and so forth. So it's an, it's a super interesting dynamic there. Um, I think, uh, I mean, if, if Lyle, if, if, if Lyle's in a, in a district that embraces his, uh, independence and his moderation, then I don't know if, uh, Nico's more extreme stances on things such as Islam and yeah. anti vaxxing and so forth would go over very well. Yeah. I mean, the interesting <laughs> well, thing maybe about in Nico, the primary. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was gonna say the interesting thing about Nico LaHood is that, um, we, we, you know, I mean, and he, there were people were thinking he'd you know, run for DA again. He said people approached him and he decided he wanted to deal with bigger issues. But the interesting thing about him is that we've never really, we really don't have much of a sense of what his, his stance is on a lot of the issues that the legislature would deal with. As you said, Brian, he, he was anti-vax, which is going to be, which might play well for among Republicans, but would certainly, uh, you know, bother many people. And it did bother a lot of Democrats when he was DA. Uh, he's made some, uh, you know, extremely provocative comments about Islam. But when you talk about issues about the role of, of, of the government and the kind of things that the legislature deals with, he's, he's never really, he's, you know, this isn't the kind of stuff he's ever really shown a, a lot of public interest in. So I think that's going to be really interesting. I was, it, Greg, I was, I was curious about your thoughts on Lyle Larson. He hasn't said what his plans are. He's, he's increasingly shown uh, solidarity with, independent and third parties, um, and, and, and sounded more like an independent. He's not, he not only opposed Republicans on this election bill, he, uh, he was critical of his party for, uh, not supporting, um, Medicaid expansion. Uh, he's been critical of, of governor Greg Abbott for, uh, uh, you know, his opposition to the mask mandates and vaccine mandates. So, do you see a, a, a? Could you envision Lyle Larson running again for another term as a Republican in his district? I mean, you know, he. It's it's really hard for me to say. I mean, he, especially this year, throughout you know the the regular session and into the special session over the summer, like he's sounded more and more like an exile from his yeah. own party. And this has been, you know, he, he was never a Democrat. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is, yeah. you know, he's, he's a lifelong Republican. Uh, but, you know, he was a Republican uh, when he was on Bear County Commissioner's Court. And there, you know, you don't, you don't have the, or, you know, you, if, if you want to be a, a, an ideologue, if you want to be a bomb thrower on Commissioner's Court, go for it, but you're not going to get much done. I mean, it's, it's very collaborative, body. He was also a city council member, which is, you know, kind of nominally uh, nonpartisan. But there, too, if you want to get anything done in order to get reelected, you know, in addition to helping people in your your district, you've got to collaborate. I mean, you've got to you know, you can't you can't take really rigid uh, ideological positions. And in the legislature, I mean, the politics have just changed around him. Yeah, um, and he right. does, you know, he seems exhausted. <laughs> you know, the, you read some of his social media posts on on Twitter and Facebook, and he, he does. You get the sense that he's exhausted with his party. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised um, if he opted not to run again. I think that's entirely possible. Uh, but on the other hand, like if he decides to, you know, you know, kind of be his own person and just leave it to the voters 
to to choose like do you want you know do you want somebody a more moderate lawmaker who will call bs mm-hmm. when he sees it regardless of the party or do you want you know do you want a bomb thrower sure. uh, you know he could he could leave that up to the voters and you know i think that too could be okay with him he doesn't you know wiles never struck me as a person who you know, he's he's not going to be speaker of the house, and right. you know, he's, right. I've, you know, I've not had any 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 you know anything coming from him of wanting to be a state senator. You know, I get the feeling he's kind of he's kind of happy just doing his thing, and if he's not doing it in the legislature, he'll go you know do something else. Uh, so, I mean, I honestly, it's kind of a non-answer. I can, no, I, I, can I, I think see him the, going either way. They're deciding not to run or to run for re-election. I guess in arguing on behalf of the the idea that he could still be a viable Republican candidate in, in the primary uh, in, in uh, mm-hmm. District 122, I mean, there's the fact that in 2018, <clears throat> uh, Greg Abbott got behind the campaign uh, of... Uh, of a challenger of Lyle Arts since Chris Fails, who had, was the, had been the mayor of Hollywood Park. And, uh, you know, Greg Abbott was really mm-hmm. unhappy with Lyle Larson because as Lyle Larson often does, I mean, he, he's a maverick figure in his party and he criticized the governor on, on ethics issues. And, um, basically for appointing, you know, donors to, to, uh, you know, boards and commissions. And so he got on the, the wrong side mm-hmm. of, of Greg Abbott. And, uh, a lot of people thought, well, this is, this could be the end for Lyle Larson and it didn't turn out that way at all. So he's, he's been, I think we, as you, we all know, I mean, when you have personal relationship that goes way back with the people in your district, sometimes that can override some of these ideological mm-hmm. questions. I mean, the other thing I would say too, is that, you know, when People, you know, tend to, you know, call him rhino. I mean, or some Republicans will do that. I mean, this is someone who, when he ran for Congress mm-hmm. in 2008, was advocating for a fair tax, which would, would basically have replaced a, a, an income tax and would be like kind of like a national uh, sales tax that, you know, is pretty regressive idea that you know, progressives would, would you know, hate that sort of idea. But, but it was rooted in his, in his sort of conservative stance on taxation and, and the size of government. So he's at the core, he's always been a conservative. But as you pointed out, Greg, uh, the, the idea of what a conservative is, is kind of the, the ground has kind of shifted under yeah. his feet. Yeah, well, so here, here's a fun thought exercise, Gilbert. What do you think? Is, is there any chance that like if, if, LaHood gets in this race and he, yeah. he challenges uh, while in the primary. Do you think there's any chance that Abbott endorses him? LaHood, that is? Oh, that's a fascinating idea. I, I mean, it, it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very, it's possible. I, I, you know, he, Greg Abbott sort of made peace with Lyle Larson in the 2019 legislative session, but uh, Lyle Larson has been very critical of him this year. I, the, right, so yeah. it, it's, I think it's an open question. Abbott may say, you know, it didn't work out the last time. Um, and, and basically Abbott kind of got burned when he, when he started going up against Republican incumbents in that cycle. So he may just decide I'm going to stay out and let, see what happens. Mm-hmm. But I mean, another question yeah. is, Will Lyle Larson run as an independent, for example, um, for lieutenant governor? Because we, you know, we had him on our podcast a couple of months ago, and it was on this podcast that he referred to Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick as soulless and a, and a jerk, and, uh, and said, <laughs> "I think yeah. something along the lines of, you know, when you look into his eyes, there's nothing there." Yeah. Yes, <laughs> um, I mean, th- this might be the case of Nico just, uh, you know, sensing blood in the water, right? Yeah, uh, a weakness because, yeah. 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, an opening because uh, Lyle is is such a maverick at this point. And you know, maybe given given the fact that Nico LaHood is an anti-vaxxer, maybe he just thinks this is his time. Now is you know, if, if yeah. not, like this is the perfect <laughs> opportunity. As he, uh, Gilbert, did you ask him what his stance is on the COVID vaccine? We didn't talk about the COVID vaccine, and I mean that that's going to be like uh, an obvious you know, question when he gets, mm. if he gets into this thing, because, um, I mean, that's, that's such a big issue right now. And he's, you know, he, he, he talked about his, uh, in the past about his opposition to, to particular vaccines and, and his belief that it, it played a role in his, um, in his son, uh, ending up on the autism spectrum. Um, but he hasn't made any public statements on this particular vaccine. So, I mean, that's going to be, you know, but again, in a Republican primary, um, it's going to play one way. And, and this is, this is, you know, gets into the bigger issues um, that we have with our politics throughout the country, which is that if it plays well in a primary, um, it's not going to really even matter in a general election because this is a Republican district and, and there's no way, there's no path to victory for a Democrat in that district. So if, if he takes a stance that's extreme, um, if it works with Republican voters, that's really going to be all that matters. There's no price to pay for it in a general election. Um, and that's this tends to be the case with a lot of districts, <laughs> uh, Texas, you know, House, dist- uh, state districts and congressional districts that you can you can uh, you're basically playing to primary voters, you know, all the time. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, an issue that's come up during um, the the budget process uh, with the city, and it's the issue of, of police funding. Um after Austin uh, cut its its uh, police budget last year, you had a, a movement at the, the state level to basically prevent other cities from from doing the same. And so, uh, Greg Abbott recently uh, signed into law a bill that would punish c- cities that of two hundred fifty thousand or more that cut their police budgets. And the, and the big punishment is that you would lose sales tax revenue. So the, as the city of San Antonio debates what to do with its police budget, it's it's really a question of, are we going to increase it? Or are we going to keep it frozen? Because I don't think anybody would really advocate for cutting the budget and facing the penalties that the city would, would encounter. So we have Jalen McKee Rodriguez, uh, Eastside Councilman, who just uh, got elected recently and uh, has, has really been a strong advocate for rethinking the way we, we handle the police budget. And he... He sort of challenged the city on on the way it's approached things. He made the point that from 2015 to 2020, we've increased the police budget by 19 percent, but uh, violent crime has gone up 30 percent. And he had this quote uh, in in response to people who would say that you know they'll feel safer if we have more police officers on the street. He said people will also feel safer if they're not at risk of being evicted. People would, would feel safer if they could walk on roads with sidewalks and street lights at night instead of on damaged, bumpy. Uh, unlit roads. People would feel safer if there weren't shootings happening at after hours clubs. So his point was there, there are a lot of needs that are being unmet in the city and maybe the way of dealing with the root causes of crime would be to, to shift that money over to, to other uh, departments. Manny Pelias, um, his fellow council member uh, took issue with that and said that, you know, that when you're looking at, at rising crime figures, you have to take into account that the city's population has also grown. So you're going to naturally see some increase in crime. And he said that putting money into the police budget is not merely about violent crime statistics, but about uh, response times, uh, trying to keep response times uh, low and also just 
dealing with caseload management and that sort of thing. Greg, I want to start with you. When you look at this issue, um, what what stands out to you about the the issue about how we should deal with the police budget? Well, yeah, I mean, so it it's always uh, a really, and this is a total understatement. It's a tricky thing to talk about. Uh, crime statistics and link them to funding for the police department just because, I mean, you know, I think Manny uh, Pelias, you know, he obviously had a point. Yeah, it, this is, you know, the city is growing uh, just over the last decade. You know, the population has grown by a little more than 8%. So we've got more people coming in. But even more importantly, I mean, you, you know, we're coming out of uh, a COVID-induced recession Crime, crime rates always increase uh, during economic downturns. There's just a lot of factors at play. So, I mean, the, you know, and, and like you said, I mean, nobody on city council is, you know, nobody wants to incur a loss of sales tax revenue by cutting the police budget. I don't think there's even a will to do that. I, I, I don't believe that even without that stick, uh, that, you know, that, that Greg Abbott has, has forced on them. Like, it, I, I just don't think it would happen. Uh, the question is allocation. Like how, you know, within the police budget, is there anything they can do to increase community policing? Uh, and I think that's probably what it will come down to. Uh, I, you know, I, I'd be surprised if you, if you have a lot of, uh, votes on council for, you know, substantially increasing the police budget. But I, I think it's going to come down to, well, how, how within the police department are you divvying up that money? And that's really where the, the argument is going to be until the council adopts, you know, the budget in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And I think, I think that, that Jalen uh, McKee Rodriguez is also making the point that if you increase it, even, you know, 14, 15 million, you know, whatever they're, they're, they're talking about now for this, uh, budget cycle that we, every time you're, you're increasing it, then you're kind of locked in because of this state law now. So we're, you know, we're kind of, you know, you know, raising, um, the, the, sort of the, the bottom figure that we can, that we can have. And so it becomes harder and harder each year that we, that we're increasing that budget. It's, it's just makes it more difficult to maybe put money into other things. You know, when you, Brian, you covered the police a lot. When you look at this issue and this is part of like, you know, a national, the national question of how do we approach law enforcement? How much money should we put into, into police? Are we, are we serving the community better if we put some of that money into other, into other places? I mean, what do you, what do you, stands out to you? Um, well, I mean, what the first thing that stands out is that the the defund the police movement uh, gained very little traction here in San Antonio, even yeah. in the thick of the protest last year. Right. Um, so there just doesn't seem to be much of an appetite to even play around with these ideas in this community for for uh, whatever reason. I'm, I'm sure there are reasons. Um, and I, so I, I get the sense that uh, this this councilman is kind of swimming upstream here on, mm -hmm. on this issue. Mm -hmm. And again, like I, I always go back to the the contract with uh, the police union. I mean, in terms of if if uh, if he's motivated by concerns about uh, police misconduct, then uh, it, it seems more, in, in my mind, rational to you know take a look at the the some of the provisions when it comes to arbitration and, um, you know, disciplining officers rather than cutting the budget. 
Yeah. And I think that one of the points that, that people have made, which is true here and elsewhere, is that, you know, a big part of it, I think maybe close to 80% of the of the police budget is kind of locked in by the terms of the the police contract, the the, the contract with the union. So if, even if you feel like there are there are things that we could, you know, there are cuts that could be made, a lot of that really has to come through the bargaining process anyway, because you're, you're, you're I mean, this, you're, your city's hands are sort of tied somewhat. Not, now you're dealing with state law, which limits you, but you're also dealing with the terms of a contract, which pretty much stipulates, you know, a lot of how you're going to, you know, what you're going to be spending your money on. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think he is correct in seeing the interconnectedness of these other, you know, what ails the city, yeah. um, the interconnectedness between crime and poverty, et cetera. Um, but, but, but uh, I mean, uh, reformers are hemmed in by state law to a certain extent. Um, well, I think we're going to li- leave things there. Um, hope everybody's doing well and um, appreciate you all listening. And we'll be back next week. Take care.